Welcome to the Tony Talks Wealth Podcast. This show is dedicated to helping you manage your money better, invest wisely, retire early, and grow your wealth for you and your family and live your best life. My name is Tony Thomas, Charter Financial Planner, Pension Specialist, and Money Coach. I've advised thousands of people over the last 30 years. I'm going to share with you real life stories and everything that you need to know to build a financially secure future and a great lifestyle. If you enjoy the podcast, then feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Now let's dive into today's episode on the Tony Talks Wealth Podcast. Welcome to today's episode where we are going to look at how financial planning helps with longevity risk. You might ask what longevity is. Longevity is the length or duration of life. How long you are going to live for is the most important element in determining how much money you are going to need in your retirement. Put simply and as an example, if you retire at 65 and live to 70, you need a lot less money than if you live to the age of 90. Surprisingly, many people fail to understand longevity factors. Consequently, their financial planning decisions become misplaced, or worse still, bad decisions are taken and could have an absolute catastrophic effect on your retirement. This subject arguably is the most crucial conundrum facing millions of people in the UK today. It has profound implications, both at an economic level and at an individual level. Nothing could be more worrying for people than not having enough money to live comfortably in retirement. On the flip side, what could be better than having a wonderfully enjoyable retirement free of any financial constraints or problems? This is the single biggest challenge for people of all ages today, how to go about planning for retirement and how to manage finances up to and then throughout retirement. If longevity is not properly understood, then there is every chance that this is going to go wrong. This episode is designed to help you understand the position and to explain the reasons why life expectancy numbers are a poor benchmark and why those numbers are in fact unreliable, and what you can do to plan for your retirement. Life expectancy is the average number of years that a group of individuals have left to live. So the keyword here is average. Life expectancy numbers are calculated around thousands of individuals and the range of ages they will all live for. Life expectancy numbers are calculated around thousands of individuals and the range of ages they will live for, and then divided by the number of individuals. This is a constantly shifting figure to take into account the most current numbers available. Life expectancy has risen significantly in the past 100 years. To highlight and illustrate why relying on life expectancy might be a problem, imagine two groups of people as simplified examples. So we got group one, where a person lives to 84, and another person lives to 85, and the third person lives to 86. Now let's look at group two. One person lives to 64, person two lives to 85, 
and person three lives to 106. In both groups, the average age of death is 85, but clearly the distribution is very different. This relates to the real world because around the average, there is a wide distribution. And as an example, some people will live to 106 and some to 64. The problem in financial planning terms is that you don't know in advance who will fall into which band. In any event, the average is not the most likely date of death. The average creates the life expectancy numbers. This means that life expectancy is of limited use on its own when we come to retirement planning, because you have to assume you could easily be one of those outliers. That is, you could die at 64 or you could live until you are 106, an outlier being one of the group who lives for longer than the average. If you don't plan to be an outlier, then you run a very big risk of run out of money in retirement. Understanding that life expectancy is only an average and it's not even the most likely age of death is a very important step in retirement planning. What are the recent life expectancy figures in the UK looking like? Well, let's just look at some examples. Life expectancy at birth in the UK in 2017 to 2019 was 79.4 years for males and 83.1 years for females. Let's look at another example. Based on figures from 2011, a 70-year-old woman has just about a 10% chance of living to 100. That means one in 10 women from age 70 will still be alive 30 years later. For men, it's 6%, or roughly one in 16. For a child born in 2011, this rises to nearly one in three women who will still be alive at 100, and just over one in four men. By 2066, it is predicted that over half a million people in the UK will be alive over the age of 100. So people are living longer, and the improvement is more pronounced for men than women. Figures show that there is also a significant regional variation, and also people with greater wealth live longer than those with less wealth. Now let's uh, look at the implications of this changing picture of retirement. It is commonly understood that on average, people are living longer than they did even in the recent past. This means that Retirement for most people will span many years and possibly several decades. The complications around this increased longevity are considerable. First, think of the relativity of retirement. How has this changed? 30 years ago, an individual retiring at 65 had an average life expectancy of roughly six years, less than today. Those extra six years may look innocuous, but in proportionate terms, that changes the savings years and retirement years ratio quite significantly. Someone who works for 45 years, say age 20 to 65, now has to fund 19 years, not 13 years on average. This means that the savings ratio changes from 19 over 45 and not 13 over 45. So there's a big difference. Again, as earlier, this represents an average. Many people who live to 100 may effectively have a ratio of 35 to 45. That is, they will uh, have 35 years of retirement. So unless people work 
to much older ages and retire later, there is a lot more that needs to be done in the savings years. It is also probable that future economic conditions, and we've seen them recently with the pandemic, could be very different and potentially problematic for retirees. In many ways, the period since the retirement years started to stretch out have been golden ones for current retirees. Very low inflation, multi-decade property price increases, and up until a few years ago, widespread generous final salary schemes have potentially masked the big structural changes in retirement possibly even kidded the next generations of retirees into thinking that somehow everything will be all right on the night. Who pays? Well, let us consider some factors. How often do you hear people say 50 is the new 40 or similar such sentiments? How different will it be for retirees in the future when they have a large population of other retirees to compete against? How different will the financial picture be when the demographic time bomb stops ticking and explodes? When the tipping point is reached, where the younger generation can no longer pay the taxes necessary to protect the older population, and arguably on the last point, this may have already happened. The precarious state of government finances and the inability of government to properly contain annual deficits suggest this could be in play today. Is it difficult to conclude anything other than tomorrow's retirement population need to start thinking about paying their own way in retirement and they need to do it now? It is simply inconceivable that government will be able to prop them up, that they will be funded by company schemes, bar the exception, or that the property in my pension scenario will work. What about a healthy or unhealthy retirement? Well, there are some figures quoted that suggest an evidence that healthy retirement years are increasing but slightly slower than overall life expectancy in other words the extra years are quite likely to be spent in good health this suggests that lifestyle expenditure that is holidays and travel will remain viable for longer and many people show strong preferences to maintain lifestyle choices for as long as they possibly can Ill health can mean expansion needs reduce, except where care is required, but the evidence suggests that years in ill health are increasing more slowly. But this can be seen as a heads they win, tails you lose benefit because of the threat of health costs if you are not healthy. So who cares? As with most big subjects, there is likely to be an elephant in the room. And in this regard, care costs are that elephant. Most people will not need to pay care fees, but a growing number do, and this number is not insignificant, meaning that although care is on average not likely to be required, it is going to be in enough cases for it to be a real threat to anyone thinking and planning ahead. This is a thorny, complex subject because of the dramatic changes to social care budgets. NHS strains and the proposed cap on paying for care fees coming into place in a few years. This episode is not one to cover this off in detail, except to say that where care is required, it can be very expensive and can have a devastating impact on an individual's or family's finances. The various government proposals to tackle this have failed to materialize which suggests that the financial threat to individuals will not be reduced anytime soon. 
having to deal with care costs is still a real factor that just about everyone needs to prepare for, wherever feasible, even though it may not occur. And what about lifestyle in today's retirement? The great news is that retirement now represents a real horizon which can involve the best years of one's life. Active years with multiple opportunities to explore new places, hobbies, adventures, and interests. Sounds idyllic to me. The growth in every age group above 65 does, however, suggest that supply and demand will impose greater costs in enjoying these advantages. Another factor suggesting that expenditure in retirement will remain high for the majority of people. What about the state of company pension schemes? Possibly the biggest generational shift from the late 1900s into the 2000s is the rapid disappearance of final salary pension schemes. Those wonderful schemes which for millions of people have offered a secure, growing and generous income in retirement. The public sector remains the mainstay in offering such schemes. Looking at the wider picture makes for an interesting analysis. The number of people in a work-related pension has actually risen in recent times. This is because of the introduction of workplace pensions. However, the level of savings into schemes has reduced fairly consistently for some time. The picture can be very confusing as the numbers who have a pension are only one factor. It is the rate of contribution which is the other important factor. Old-style final salary schemes, those gilt-edged, generous, truly beneficial schemes are now becoming extinct in the private sector, being replaced by personal-style workplace pensions, whilst take-up is good, have a fraction of the value. People are saving quite widely, but simply nowhere near enough. People often say, my property is my pension. There may well be people who will be able to use their property to support their retirement needs, but this is both risky and likely to change. People often forget that property transactions represents a nil-sum game, in the same sense there is a buyer and a seller. So if property prices rise, then someone is gaining and someone is losing. It is a delusion to think that property prices rises are universally a good thing. The idea of a prolonged severe depression in property prices seems extremely unlikely given today's interest rate levels. In other words, there can be no assumption that a universal policy of downsizing and releasing money from property will work as some form of retirement backstop. It would not take too much of a downturn for a few years in property prices for this to become a disaster for many. And many people who have put their eggs largely into the property market could have a big sting in the tail. So what financial planning steps can we take? To recap, we are facing a rapidly changing retirement picture, both at a collective and an individual level. Life expectancy figures do not help us understand the extent of the money that may be needed in retirement. Indeed, life expectancy figures quoted in articles or by experts are often misleading in their own rights, simply because they misrepresent the most likely age of death. Beyond this, we may have to plan to be an outlier. One of the lucky few will live well beyond the most likely date of death. We also need to be wary of care fees and the impact of needing to pay for expensive care in retirement. 
Therefore, we have to make plans for a very long retirement and take some crucial steps to protect ourselves as best we can. So how do we actually do this? Number one, treat the subject, that is retirement planning, as a very high priority. Wherever you are today on the pathway, please take immediate steps to review your retirement plan. Is there anything more important for you to do in the next few months? Secondly, as part of this review process, aim to get some form of assessment of your lifetime income and expenditure requirement. There are several ways of doing this. The most popular of which is to get some form of personal financial cash flow forecast. Most advisors will be able to help you with this or indeed money coaches. This will provide you with a long-term projection of what you are heading towards and importantly, where the shortfalls might be and what you need to do today as well at future stages. Thirdly, it is likely for most people that the key to meeting future needs will be determined by aggressive savings and assessing current budgets and reorganizing finances today to increase the savings amount could represent the difference between a comfortable retirement and the opposite. All the evidence shows that collectively UK savers are not saving enough. And in many cases, this may be down to affordability, but in others, this may be down to misunderstanding of the amounts needed and could be influenced by misconceptions about life expectancy. Fourthly, an often hidden action point is the ability of individuals to get more from their pots. Whether they are savings pots, pension pots, or investment pots, it is astonishing how many people have a pension. For example, take a 45-year-old who has a £40,000 pension pot and has no idea of the returns that they are getting. Or they do know the returns, but have no idea if these can be improved on or if they are a good or a bad return. They leave the £40,000 to do as they will. This is a mistake. It is absolutely essential to maximise returns and to avoid, wherever possible, leaving money in dead funds. Strive to squeeze the maximum out of every pot that you have, and if possible, reduce the costs on these pots. Again, let's look at a couple of examples. A 45-year-old who has £40,000 in a pension pot which grows at 3.5% each year. They will have £79,600 in the pot when they get to the age of 65. Now, let's compare that to a 45-year-old who has £40,000 in the pension pot, but that grows at 7% per year they will have £154,800 in their pot when they get 65. That's an astonishing £75,000 more for the same amount of money. They simply get better returns from better performing funds. No one can guarantee better returns, but you can aim for them by getting the best investment help and advice making sure you do everything you can to actively pursue the best return from the level of risk that you can afford to take. Number five, consider family finances. It is always worth looking at. If appropriate, the interaction between parents and the children finances to see how these may be interlocked to provide help. This is especially the case given the new pension freedoms rules. 
the timing of gifts or inheritances of using viable intergenerational planning techniques can make a huge difference to long-term outcomes. This could be extended to looking at the use of trusts to protect bloodline interests and stopping family wealth being lost in a divorce or bankruptcy. Isolating the view to one generation can mask many opportunities. Number six, use expert help. This is a sophisticated position where making a few short-term changes can make a very long-term difference, either positive or negative. Using a qualified expert, especially one with modern software programs to support the exercise can reap huge rewards. It is not an area that especially lends itself to do-it-yourself solutions. To get right on top of this, take time to get the best help you possibly can. Make sure that that person is qualified and has the expertise and experience in the area that you need advice in. So what's the conclusion? Longevity is now a reality for the majority of people. For all this is a wonderful thing. It does represent a series of challenges in terms of financial planning. The most important message we have aimed to emphasize in this episode is that you will in all likelihood need to plan to be an outlier. Someone who lives even longer than the life expectancy figure so often portrayed as the benchmark. This requires a major shift in thinking and will, in the vast majority of cases, require a large increase in the amount saved during the savings years. The fact there is no evidence that this is happening in a meaningful way at a collective level is a worry, and there needs to be more done to correct this. However, at an individual level, you can do something about this yourself. You can improve your position. It is in anyone's hands to take control over their own destiny and to tackle and meet these challenges on their behalf full on. That's it for this week's episode. If you want help with this area of financial planning, then please get in touch. I look forward to you joining me next week when we look at another important area of financial planning. Don't forget to drop me a message for topics that you want covered. See you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find links to everything that we've discussed in the show notes. And if you'd like to know more about what I do or see more great money tips to build a secure and a happy lifestyle, then you can find all of these on my website, ttwealth.co.uk or my YouTube channel, TTWealth. If you want to work with me, then why not book a free 30-minute call to find out how? You can also follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I also produce a bi-monthly newsletter, TTWealth News, which contains practical money tips that is free for you to download from my website. And if you're enjoying this podcast, don't hesitate to leave a review. Of course, the more stars, the better. And equally, sharing is caring. So if you've heard something that you've enjoyed and you think will benefit someone you know, then please do share with them. I'm sure they will appreciate it. So it's goodbye until next time. And remember, live for today, invest for tomorrow.